we kind of go back in time. I, I like that, uh, that hockey analogy. Maybe you can bring that up one more time. Yeah. Today, I was reviewing uh, the charts in terms of silver, gold stocks, as well as technology stocks, because those are hot industries of late. And, they've, and they're also going to be hot industries um, at certain points of this year. So I thought that would make sense. So what I did was I took the analysis that I uh, use in terms of uh, the prediction machine that looks at the momentum structure of different decision makers across an enormous amount of timeframes and then looks at the entanglement among those decision makers to figure out where people are going to show up in the future with the most amount of demand for the price of shares as opposed to alternate securities. And by knowing the few stocks in the NASDAQ or the S&P or the few commodities that are going to really lead the market to the upside on both an absolute and relative basis, um, it really provides a lot of value. And we've done that in the past number of shows. On the occasional show, we talk about some ratio charts where we try to uh, you know, look at the, the ratio of one stock relative to the underlying commodity that is driving the stock higher, or we look at an individual stock relative to an index or another stock to see if that ratio is rising or falling. If it's rising, it means the stock on the numerator is outperforming the stock on the denominator. So for example, if I was looking at, let's say, Netflix, and I was comparing it to the NASDAQ, I would type into my screen Netflix divided by NASDAQ, and if that gauge showed that the future momentum structure was going to be favorable with a very strong bias and persistence going into the future, then we would be more interested and inclined to go long uh, Netflix as opposed to just getting a diversified index that would bog us down with a lot of variables and equities in there that may not be as high performing as Netflix. So that's just an example. It was kind of a one-off thing on some of our previous episodes where we would hone in on an individual name uh, because it was of interest to us. And then we would say, hey, you know what? This name looks better than some of these other names. So we just compared it and just snapshotted according to, you know, one-to-one. Today, what I'd like to do is play hockey playoffs, but with stocks. I'm looking at basically the stocks that are in the uh, technology space, the high-performing ones like in 5G, because those are the ones that have been, you know, doing quite well and also, uh, you know, stocks in the semiconductor space. And what I did is I played, I did kind of like a hockey playoff thing for the stocks as an analogy. So I would compare, let's say there were like uh, 50 or 60 stocks that were high performing within, let's say, uh, the semiconductor space or, or the uh, technology space. And I would basically look at, to, you know, play each one off according to, uh, each other. So I would first of all look at each stock, all 50 stocks relative to the NASDAQ, and then I would see which ones are going to be performing better than NASDAQ going forward. And then once I isolated that list, then I said, okay, from this list, which are the best performing stocks relative to the semiconductor index? Because that's one index that's likely going to outperform in up markets. And then I took a look at that and then I isolated the list, even honed in even further so we don't have this enormous list, especially for retail traders that could only manage so many names. Like, yeah, there, you've got funds out there that have 50 or 200 names you know, in their fund and they're not really trading a lot, so it's easy to manage the information. But when you're actively trading, 
you don't really want more than four or eight names that you have to follow at any given time because it could get quite confusing. So the idea would be, could we hone, you know, in the whole market into fewer than 10 names and preferably even like two or three in, in a given industry to just say, hey, you know what, if you focus on these, you're going to save yourself a lot of analysis time and still have a life, but yet still be able to perform quite well as an, both an active and passive trader relative to other traders and the benchmark. The idea was once we had this list, then I would basically say to myself, okay, if I've got like five or 10 stocks in the list that look interesting for technology, I'm going to pit off each one of those stocks against each other. And I'm going to just go down to the final stock that looks like the best that could outperform in this market. And I understand that it's not smart to only rely on one stock. You probably want to have two or three, but today I'm just want to just focus on one. So I'm not suggesting that you dump your whole portfolio and put it into this single stock. I'm just saying that this stock, you know, over the intermediate to long-term has a much brighter future than the majority of stocks within the NASDAQ or the semiconductor index or even the 5G index. And what's nice about the stock that won the playoffs, it, it happens to be a stock we already talked about in one of the prior episodes, but it's also one of the, the key players that you're going to hear a lot about. A lot of people have not heard a lot about it, but it's uh, R-E-S-N. Basically, it's, it's called Resonant. They actually offer a, uh, a filter filtering methodology that um, allows for um, incredible management of power consumption. And it's an integral component of the next generation of 5G phones. They also uh, struck a, a pretty good deal with some of the major players in the space. They just recently got a patent, um, a number of patents on their technology. And and you could look at uh, some of the prior, you know, there's a prior episode uh, that we had. So if you just scroll through the list, you'll notice that um, if you notice R-E-S-N on that uh, episode, it'll give you some additional fundamental information about the stock. But I really just wanted to focus on, you know, the name and the fact that this name is not just good for the intermediate term, but it also has some prospects in the shorter term that look quite attractive. So I'm just going to, review that chart one more time. And today the, the, uh, the stock closed at $2.62. It's showing that it wants to go to, uh, to five to six bucks on the upside, which would be quite a nice move to the upside. And it looks like it's going to be outperforming just about everything in its space. So this is a small cap name that's going to likely grow to be a mid cap name as we uh, unfold here. So I did the same type of analysis uh, when it came to the gold and silver space. And the reason why I'm mentioning gold and silver is because we've had many episodes already where I've really pounded the table on, on the idea that with all this QE and money printing going on in the world, you're going to need to find a way to defend your assets from losing uh, their purchasing power in the future. And it's not just about as a hedge against purchasing power, but it just happens to be that these, these stocks are ready for a, you know, to go into a very significant move in the intermediate term, and even some of them in the short term. When it comes to hour to hour, that's something that you would have to track and be a premium member. 
But, you know, as a trader that's even doing, you know, some position trades or as uh, an investor that's holding it for um, several months out or even into the end of the year without going crazy and saying, oh, you have to hold it for three to four years. There is a huge opportunity in the gold and silver space. Silver has tremendously underperformed gold of late. Uh, but it now appears, as I mentioned in some previous episodes, that it's likely going to start waking up again. You know, just because it wakes up doesn't mean it completely outperforms uh, gold, but it's certainly not going to be that drastic underperformer that we've seen uh, since the beginning of the year. And so I did hockey playoffs for gold and silver. And when I did uh, the playoffs, these are, this is the process and the stocks that I actually uh, looked at. And it's kind of interesting because sometimes what I do, I do something very untraditional. Sometimes I'll actually look at a stock in an alternate space. And what I mean by that is that usually when you're actually comparing stocks on a relative basis, you're comparing either, let's say for gold, you'll compare a gold stock to another gold stock say like uh, Fortuna Silver divided by El Dorado. And, and the reason why I say Fortuna Silver, even though it has silver in the name, a, a big component of their company in recent years has become gold. So the underlying source driving Fortuna Silver is to a large degree gold, it is silver as well. So when you take Fortuna Silver, which has a stream of gold and divide it by, let's say something like El Dorado, which is a gold company, and if that uh, divisor shows that, hey, it looks like it's going to start outperforming compared to how it was performing in the past, then that would be you know, a good reason to want to be owning Fortuna Silver or having more of it you know, now so that you could reap the gains as we uh, move on you know, through the uh, third and fourth quarter of the year from where we are now. Now, typically, you're not just comparing silver stocks or gold stocks to other silver and gold stocks, or a, or, or a gold stock to the gold index, or a gold stock to gold bullion itself. But what I found is it's quite useful to compare it to another sector where we believe is going to outperform. So as I already indicated, we believe that you know uh, there's going to be pockets of activity where semiconductors are going to outperform uh, the broader market. And we've already identified that resonant RESN is going to outperform. So, and it's likely going to even outperform uh, Netflix at some point uh, this year. And Netflix has been a huge performer. So just, so yeah. So if net, you know, Netflix has gone up, you know, has had quite a run, whatever happens in the, in, in at the extreme short term, it's doing its little consolidation, but at the end of the day, Netflix wants to go significantly uh, higher in the uh, intermediate term as, you know, after we get, some, you know, after there's some kind of correction in the overall market. Correction could just mean goes up gradually, goes sideways, or, you know, goes down and then comes back up sometime after the, the uh, middle of June, you know, and then has some more strength. But there's still going to be a lot of stocks that are going to be still performing quite decently during any kind of correction. And the idea is to find those stocks. So the, the thing is, um, if we already know that technology is likely going to be an outperformer relative to the broad market, then I would like to not just compare gold and silver to, gold and, uh, to other gold and silver stocks and gold and silver bullion, but also compare it 
to other stocks in the other sectors that we think are going to outperform. So what I did was. So this would make it kind of relevant if you were looking for the best opportunity, right? Exactly. So if somebody owns pretty big position in technology and they're wondering and they're saying, well, you know, Ephraim <laughs> is saying that, uh, oh, you should be, uh, you know, focusing on RESN, which is in technology. And then I'm at the same time saying you should be focusing on uh, gold and silver, but you may already own a lot of gold and silver, or you may already own an overweight position in technology. And by doing this kind of analysis, it allows us to actually figure out where you should be adjusting your positions so that you could deliberately be diversified, but in a, in a very tactical way based on what the momentum structure of these individual stocks look like in their own right and relative to uh, their opportunity cost, because maybe another uh, component in a different sector that's outperforming, maybe even outperforming more than the best performing stock in the individual index. So what I did was I took a look at Fortuna Silver. The first thing I did when I was looking at the market, I looked at Fortuna Silver relative to NAT. Okay, and this was one of the names that we had on our list um, on some of our prior episodes. NAT is Nordic American Tankers which tends to uh, you know, do well in an environment where there's nowhere to store oil on land and they, they store it like uh, on floating uh, ships. But, but the point is this stock already had a pretty big run. It is going to retest the high. Like it's probably going to want to retest 925 again, uh, NAT. It's currently at 650. Uh, you know, you could argue and say that's a pretty good run. I mean, whether it's going to come down to 587, which is where some buyers are hanging out. That's questionable, but the point is there is an intermediate term run that's in play and there's some unfinished business to do. It wants to kind of tap nine, 9.25. It already hit $9, so it kind of already did you know, its first kind of target, but often stocks that are strong retest the highs after having some volatility where profit takers come. So the question is, if somebody has already is in NAT or even if they're not in NAT, it just happens to be it's in an industry that's different than, let's say, gold. And let's say I'm trying to find out, well, should I be you know, owning one of my favorite stocks, let's say, in gold or silver? Or should I you know, reposition some into NAT or move it out of NAT into the other one? So what I did was I did a ratio analysis of FSM which is basically Fortuna Silver, which is, one of my, which is one of my favorite plays in the silver equity space. And I put that as the numerator, and then I divided it by EGO, which happened to be one of the names, excuse me, I, I divided it by um, NAT, and, uh, which is the one we we're just talking about, Nordic American Tankers. And what I found is that FSM is going to incredibly outperform Nordic American Tankers. So even though Nordic American Tankers is, is uh, a name that wants to retest 925 at some point, and it's currently at 629, we originally were talking about it, uh, the original signal came in in the, in the threes. The, the, the point is, uh, 
is, does it make sense? I mean, that would normally be considered a pretty good move to the upside for NAT, but it's saying right now that the playoffs that we're playing against, we're pitting FSM against Nat, and it's basically saying FSM is going to just blow it out of the water. So I would want to be, you know, if you wanted to own both, I would want to have at least an equal position in both of them, but I would probably at this point want an overweight position in FSM. So then I, I, I then asked the question, okay, well, I also like gold. And one of the names in the, in the gold space that is performing, has been performing quite well off of that low in March has been El Dorado. So I thought, okay, why don't I have a playoff with El Dorado against Nordic American tankers and see if it looks as good as FSM did compared to Nordic American tankers. And when I did that, I noticed that it did not look um, as good. And, and through transitive property, that would mean that FSM is potentially better than EGO. But that, that only means relative to the correlation factor. It does not mean that the fundamentals are better necessarily. It does not mean that, uh, you know, maybe in the immediate short term or intraday that it's better. It just means that on the intermediate term time frame, the time frame for an investor, it looks far superior to NAT. Part of the reason is NAT already hit its first target and it's just going to be retesting it where FSM has been underperforming the market for quite some time. And that's when I really like looking at extreme reversion kind of trades where something is not really wanted by the street. And then all of a sudden it shows there's going to be a transition into a more favorable momentum structure in the future. Sometimes it takes a little time, but the point is you don't want to be waiting for the herd to tell you that it's time because they usually gap by that time. And uh, there's already been some signs in the past uh, few days here that it's starting to perk up. You know, sometimes when it perks up, it does a little consolidation and continues, you know, moving in the direction. So I definitely like FSM more than NAT. And the, the other thing that's interesting, even though EGO is in the gold space and I love gold, FSM is very interesting because they have gold and they have silver. And it's, it's basically treated like a gold stock and a silver stock, which means that you get that kind of natural hedge because sometimes gold outperforms silver and sometimes silver outperforms gold depending on the time frame you're looking at. So by having something like FSM as a diversifier to a name in the gold space, it would, it would fare quite well. So FSM looks like so far it's, it's a winner. So then I looked at silver relative to gold because we like gold. We like, you know, you know, silver is going to be interesting this year, but you know, looking at silver in the immediate short term, you can make a case and say, Hey, it could outperform gold and play catch up. But could is could, or it goes sideways, or just like kind of, it doesn't outperform gold, but it's just as good, or um, it outperforms in the immediate short term. In the longer term, you can make the case, hey, gold's, you know, the real asset that gold could outperform silver. Even though silver tends to outperform gold, if gold goes parabolic, and I do believe eventually it's going to do that, but until it does that, and if it just, you know, does, a, you know, a steady kind of move up, and it doesn't even matter how high it goes, as long as it's steady. So if it's steady and it keeps on going up, then it, it's possible there could be intermittent periods where 
silver outperforms gold and gold outperforms silver. But nonetheless, both are, are tremendously, look tremendously well, especially gold. Um, so then what I did was I pitted FSM against gold bullion. So, cause we already liked FSM relative to EGO and relative to NAT. So then I said, okay, well, how's FSM going to do relative to the underlying commodity that actually causes S FSM to go up considering that FSM, you know, just found a new, you know, they have a new gold mine that's, you know, almost complete. And it's, it's probably going to be up and running at some point this year. And uh, when that happens, you're going to see their revenues and, and balance sheet really improve tremendously and production go through the roof. When that happens, you're going to see a, you know, a potential double in FSM, even if the price of gold and silver go nowhere. So that's, so from a fundamental point of view, I also like that name. It's also extremely undervalued relative to other names in the same space. So, okay. So what happened when I, when I compared FSM to gold, it basically showed it's good at way outperform gold. Well, I would, um, let me just see when I say way outperform gold. No, actually I take that back. Uh, let me just rewind. It's going to way outperform. What I meant to say is it's going to way outperform silver. So then I compared it to gold and it showed that it's, it's going to outperform gold. But, but not as much as silver. Okay. It's definitely going to outperform gold, but, uh, but it's, it's definitely going to way outperform silver. So it's like, okay, so what does that mean? Well, based on that, it's kind of saying that maybe that's another point for gold because uh, if it's way outperforming silver, but not way outperforming gold, then maybe silver is a little weaker than gold in the intermediate term. But, you know, given that the, uh, you know, that the ratio uh, of silver to gold is at an all-time low or, or, or gold to silver is at like an incredible, um, you know, high valuation, and usually those valuations correct, there will come a point when gold becomes parabolic that silver will have a dramatic move, which is all the more reason to own Fortuna Silver because it gets the benefit of both gold and silver. So again, in the playoffs, Fortuna Silver wins. So then it's like, okay, so what about taking Fortuna Silver against something like technology stocks? And it looks like uh, Fortuna Silver is going to outperform the broad market as well. It also looks like, you know, one of the, the stocks in the gold space, which is my favorite, is Kinross. Kinross is just unbelievable. So is El Dorado. It just depends on the time frame you're looking at, but all of it is going to do tremendously well. And uh, so, you know, Kinross in the gold space, Fortuna Silver in the silver space, both amazing fundamentals and both in their own right outperforming their underlying commodity and the broad market. So then I said, okay, but I just mentioned that I really like RESN. So how do these compare to RESN? If I'm going to look at, say, RESN compared to uh, gold, does it look better than gold? And I have to say that it looks better than gold. <laughs> so it looks better than gold bullion. So therefore, you've got to have RESN in the portfolio. So, okay, but we also already knew that Fortuna Silver is going to outperform gold and it's going to outperform silver. So which one looks like it's going to outperform gold and silver more? Is it RESN or is it Kinross or FSM? 
And it really depended on the time frame that you played the playoffs against. In some time frames, it would be one, and some time frames it would be another. So I have to say, I really, really like RESN, FSM, and KGC. So those should be the players. So if you're going to have a playoff, a real time playoff, because these are playoffs that are happening now, you want to be owning those players. So I would own RESN, KGC, FSM, and even El Dorado Gold. And if you had those people in the playoffs in your portfolio, come back a year from now or come back, uh, you know, later in the year after August and then say, hey, who won? You know, and then and, and, and it's quite possible that there were times where one was beating the other and the other. But the point is, as a diversification in the portfolio, because you don't really want to have less than four names in a, in, in a concentrated portfolio. It's concentrated enough. This is basically just a, you know, a, uh, a high expectations uh, portfolio. It could complement an, ex an existing portfolio that is uh, maybe diversified in other areas. But without a doubt, this is what I see as uh, outperforming going into the future. Yeah, and we did mention in some of our prior calls, uh, biotechnology looks like it's going to um, outperform. So when I take RESN and divide it by the biotechnology index, and say, hey, what's going to outperform more? It still says R-E-S-N. So uh, resident in, in the 5G space, that little company is most likely, you know, over the intermediate term, going to outperform. So any dips that happen in R-E-S-N relative to, to um, other technology stocks or relative to the biotech index or relative to the broader market are likely just minuscule dips on an intraday or interweek basis, great for traders to actually participate in and, and great for uh, longer term passive investors to, you know, position themselves for the 5G future in RECN. And the same thing when it comes to, let's take a look at FSM divided by the biotech index. Let's put it against the biotech index. It shows that it's going to perform also quite well. But I have to say that the outperformance of RESM to the biotech index may be significantly greater. RESN is really interesting. But when you go to a longer term time frame on FSM uh, or even in the intermediate term, because I was looking at a bit of a, of a shorter term, but intermediate term FSM for tuna silver relative to the biotech index, it shows that it could outperform substantially or at least perform, because I expect biotech to perform quite nicely. I mean, today, for example, uh, one of the stocks that we've talked about in the past, Gilead, it's basically a stock in the biotech market that's uh, you know really been developing drugs in the HIV space for a number of years and also uh, been developing uh, drugs recently for the uh, coronavirus. And some very positive reports came out in the past day that shows that it could really be uh, useful for um, reducing the duration uh, and, and severity of the episode, especially the duration. And it seems to be statistically significant, but there needs to be more studies. It's still a relatively small sample, but there were a number of other small studies done in other areas that also showed promise. And if you have looked at some reports that showed that it didn't show promise, those reports, I believe there were a few of them 
that were botched up. The, the way they were doing the statistical analysis, I didn't think was very solid. I do believe the report that came out today, uh, I know that Fauci uh, gave high marks, you know, to it, such high marks that the, they're fast tracking or they're trying to fast track the FDA to, to allow that drug to be used for people because some of the people that were, you know, in the study that were in the control experiment, taking the placebo against taking uh, the drug that Gilead was uh, making, they basically now are likely going to be able to take the drug because there are no other viable options. And, and usually when you're conducting a study, when there are no other viable options, you, you know, from an ethics point of view, it's smart to uh, have the opportunity you know, for the placebo people to actually have a shot at getting some kind of a, uh, a treatment or therapeutic for their problems. So I hope that works out well for all those people that may end up taking that um, as the FDA uh, tries to fast track this thing. In terms of Gilead, um, it would make sense. Let's just check Gilead right now. I mean, since I, you know, I've been very interested in it since it was in, this, in the 70s, it's now 83 bucks. Any kind of pullbacks are likely going to take this stock higher, but it has had a move. So let's compare it to, how does Gilead compare to let's say RESM? just as, you know, if somebody was to go into it. And they're in two completely different sectors, uh, obviously. It does look as if you can make a case at some point, because biotech is a binary event. If, in fact, Gilead, you know, makes a breakthrough and everyone starts using it, you can make a case at some point this year, it just explodes overnight, you know, goes to a whole new level. I, I don't know if it's the best one to compare to RESN, but I could tell you that... Uh, relative to the biotech index as a whole, which, you know, there's a lot of names in biotech index that aren't performing well, where Gilead has been and has some fundamentals behind it, where if things, you know, continue to go well, it could really do tremendously well. So in that sense, RESN is far superior to the biotech index, uh, but, relative to R, but relative to Gilead, I'm looking at the longer term time frame here, on the longer term time frame, it actually even looks like RESN is going to outperform Gilead. So I have to say RESN is quite a winner, but Gilead relative to the biotech index it looks like a very interesting name. I like it a lot. I think it's going to perform very nicely relative to the XBI. So if you do have exposure to the XBI, then exposure to Gilead would make sense. Is it my absolute favorite name? I mean, the thing is, it's, you know, there's a good fundamental reason to want to have it in a portfolio on any kind of dips. But at the same time, there were some other names that I've talked about in the past, like v, VXRT. And I do believe that name is going to do tremendously well as the year unfolds. But it's also a small cap name, you know, and small cap names have lots of volatility. Not that a binary event, even in a large cap name, can't have volatility. It's just, it's a bigger cap name. They're, they're maybe more diversified. But VXRT, Vaxard, is, has a tremendous potential in terms of the fact, as I mentioned before, they're trying to attack the vaccine part of the uh, coronavirus uh, in terms of uh, you know, mass availability and mass adoption because they're the only competitor that is going to be offering a pill form which would actually be very easy to take as opposed to 
getting your standard injection and there would be a lot, it would be a lot faster to actually implement. So this is definitely a name that I'm going to continue to focus on and really hone in on, but definitely looking relative to uh, the XBI and, and just on its own right, it looks attractive. So, so based on that, uh, we mentioned a couple biotech stocks. We have mentioned some stocks in the past, like Regeneron, which is a big cap name. I did mention uh, the other day, there's like, uh, you know, it had a pretty big runoff and it was due for some kind of, you know, it hit some kind of level where there could be a pullback and then buy it again. But this is a stock we're going to hear a lot more about um, over time because I don't believe Regeneron has had its day, not even, not even close. See massive potential, you know, over the next several years on this name. So this is a, a multi, multi-year uh, kind of name. And I do believe biotech is going to, you know, outperform for the years to come. And when that happens, uh, you really want to be in the best kind of names. So this is a name you buy on pullbacks. And when I compare REGN to the XBI, yeah, it already, it already hit the, the first target. So now it's on a pullback and then it's going to try to push up again. There's some resistance uh, at around eight bucks. We already got up to uh, 770, which is why I thought, you know, there could be some kind of, you know, short-term pullback. But the thing is, for traders, this is a name you want to continue. Well, excuse me. The, the number that I just gave of eight bucks is not eight bucks for REGN because REGN is a multi-hundred dollar stock. This is for the ratio of REGN to the XBI, which is the biotech index. So what I'm basically saying is the biotech index has been outperformed by REGN recently. And now the biotech index has outperformed in the short term and is going to, again, underperform REGN in the future. You've got two things going for you. You've got XBI that will outperform the overall markets and REGN in the longer term. So it's, it's something to just you know, pay attention to. But if I pit REGN against something like F FSM, which one is better? It's not giving me a lot of information. So it's basically telling me that FSM is good relative to all the other things we talked about. And it's saying that REGN, REGN is, uh, is good, which is Regeneron. Some of the other names I've mentioned in the past in biotech is like RDHL. They're also big in the space for uh, the coronavirus. It had a big move up. Do I believe the move is done uh, for good? No, I, uh, you know, you could, you could go through a consolidation and up and down and retest the high and all that. But at some point, again, in the, uh, in the coming weeks and months, you're going to see more of this stock in the news. You're going to be hearing about this. If I, com if I compare Red Hill Biopharma RDHL, uh, let's say to FSM, when I do the playoffs with that one, it's showing RDHL. I'm not getting a lot of information out of it. So let me look at um, FSM over RDHL. When you don't get a lot of information out of a ratio spread, it's basically telling you that if you like both stocks, then you should own both of them. You don't have to like sell one to buy another. FSM relative to RDHL is at the lower end of the range. So you could argue and say, hey, you know what? It's been oscillating. So this is a good time to own FSM on a relative basis. But there's no definitive absolute signal that says, hey, one has to outperform the other. So, the, so that's telling me that it's good you know, to be trading both of them. Uh, but what about RDHL 
compared to let's say gold, you know, as opposed to our favorite equity in the gold space. And it's telling us that RDHL is gonna strongly outperform, will likely strongly outperform gold uh, in the intermediate term. If that's the case, then it, it must mean that FSM is way stronger than gold bullion. So if anyone is bullish on gold or silver, they should be owning FSM as well as KGC and EGO. So yeah, so that's kind of the playoffs here. So excellent. Hope this is going to be uh, helpful to people in the, uh, in the markets. I know it's helpful for me, that's for sure. I use it every day. So if I use it, I, I want everybody else to at least have a chance to experience what I experienced over the past 20 years of applying this technology. Excellent. And also uh, a shout out to any fund managers out there or people that are, you know, managing uh, other people's money that are looking for, uh, you know, potential uh, new angles in analyzing the market or customized solutions. I'd be more than happy to, uh, you know, sit down and, uh, and help you, uh, you know, figure out how to uh, complement whatever works best for you and even make it even possibly better. I, I'm not of the idea of applying market intelligence to tell somebody, hey, you know what? Ours is better than yours. Throw yours away and only use ours. That's ridiculous. And I don't think that's an approach. If somebody invested their, their time and money on understanding a trading uh, or investment system and strategy, and even more importantly, feeling comfortable with the strategy because you can have this great strategy, but if it doesn't fit your personality, then it's useless. But if somebody has been using a system and it's been working for them and it jives and is in harmony with their personality, it allows for um, a much better trading experience where you taking, making decisions at the right time instead of going back afterwards and saying, oh yeah, I said that, but I didn't do anything about it. So the nice thing about marrying this market intelligence of knowing you know, which uh, equities or which commodities or which industries or sectors are likely going to outperform in the future playoffs, as well as having an idea of honing in on the time windows where there's going to be um, lower exposure to bad information and, and amplification of, of, of positive sentiment in the market. You could really take a strategy that is mediocre and actually make it extraordinary, even better than some of strategies that have much higher mathematical edges. So it's not all about finding one system that works for you, but it's about complementing your system with the right kind of market intelligence that can make your system either be even better than what you think it was during the years or somebody that's new to trading that doesn't even have a methodology, but has a few ideas because maybe they're familiar with their certain industry and they, and they really like maybe a dozen stocks, let's say, that they follow in the industry that they're familiar with. Kind of like Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett says, invest in what you know. So if there are people out there that really understand technology or really understand biotech or really understand um, the gold and silver market or the oil market, whatever it is, or tankers, you know, I'm sure you have a pretty good idea maybe more so than me about the individual companies, you know, and what they're actually doing, especially if you're involved in them as, you know, not just an investor, but as somebody that's building those companies. And if you're one of those people, you may have an idea of the industry that there's maybe 10 or 20 names that are really going to do well 
you know, in the future. But what I could do is I could take those 20, you know, those 20 names or so and say, hey, let's play hockey playoffs against them and see through this lens which ones are really going to attract the most capital in the future. And if, it, if we could just drill, take those 20 names, filter it down to two to five names, then you could really improve your returns dramatically. And I find you could return it five, tenfold by picking you know, the right names. And in an absolute sense, you know, get a better result than you could have by just using a single strategy by itself. Once again, I just like to um, stress that this is all for educational purposes and informational purposes only. And this is not a recommendation to buy or sell any equities. You have to fit that in with your overall portfolio with your professional advisor, or if you happen to be a professional advisor yourself, or you're taking your things into your own hands, just understand uh, what the risks are in investing. Never invest money that's beyond uh, what you intend to lose. Hey guys, thanks for listening. So this podcast is for information purposes only. It's not intended to be investment advice. Seek a duly licensed professional for actual investment